Wear a mask, they say. It's the most loving thing to do. But is it? We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk about teachers and a really creepy thread on Twitter that was discovered about teachers talking about, you know, parents and uh, their involvement in their child's education and how they don't really want that. Then, of course, we're going to take a look at one of Taylor Swift's new songs, Cardigan, for deconstruction purposes. That and so much more on this episode of Deconstructing the Culture. I am your host, Elisa Steele. Welcome to this episode of Deconstructing the Culture. You know what to do and what I'm about to tell you. You already know it in your heart and soul that this is the right thing to do. So why haven't you done it already? And that is to subscribe on YouTube, to subscribe on iTunes, to go and leave a five-star review wherever it is you are listening, and then make our friendship official on Facebook. You know, I have a hard time justifying paying for Facebook ads, which I've actually never done, mostly because my account is already so hardcore um, suppressed on Facebook, why would I give money to Facebook for them to promote a post that at the same time they're suppressing? Same thing goes for Instagram. So do us both a favor, go ahead and make our friendship official on Facebook. If you're still on talk, TikTok, um, even with all the controversy about it being shut down, um, maybe in the near future, go ahead and follow me on TikTok. I do post on there sometimes. And then, of course, if you're on Instagram, which you probably are, because most of my Instagram family is, you know, where we all come together. But if you're on Instagram, what you're going to want to go ahead and do is go to my profile and click notify so that you actually see when my posts come up. I post between... Eh, between three and six times a week. So not that often. I'm not going to spam your feed with like six posts in one day. But at the same time, I've not going to lie, I've been seriously shadow banned by Instagram, especially after that one video of the doctors talking about alternative COVID potential cures. Um, yeah, well, Instagram deleted that video and then they decided to send me to Instagram jail. So my posts are really, really being um, very much shadow banned and shut down right now and they're not allowing me to use hashtags which really sucks because that is one of the main ways that I can actually organically grow. So all that to say please go ahead and hit notify for Instagram posts and then while you're at it just to kind of boost the feed so that Instagram knows you're actually interested in what I'm posting then you're gonna go ahead and just like 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 the last seven posts that I've and, you know, saying that you agree with them, obviously, if you don't agree with it, don't worry about it. But if you like my content, please go through and like a few posts and leave some comments so that Instagram knows. All right, now that we've got housekeeping out of the way, um, we're going to go ahead and jump into kind of a, you know, tricky subject, which is um, the mask thing again, specifically the mask thing when it comes to Christians using the phrase it's the loving thing to do, which is what I'm hearing a lot lately. Okay, real quick. <laughs> this is, I did not plan on talking about this, but um, I have recently in the last couple of months learned the very real um, sensation of what pregnant women mean by lightning crotch. No, get your head out of the gutter. If I am grimacing, it is not about the news. Actually, it might be, but it's actually mostly just because I'm getting head butted um, by my child 
on my cervix and it hurts. So I apologize if you're on YouTube and wondering why is that lady making faces? That's why. Okay. Yeah. So update. I'm still pregnant. Um, 38 weeks. And I know it's not technically my due date, but uh, anytime she wants to come, I am ready to hold her and also to keep my food down. There we go. All right. Let's talk about the loving thing to do. Here's the thing. I'm hearing this so often, and it's being pushed primarily by Christians, and that is wearing a mask is the loving thing to do. I have to disagree. Since the mask thing has become an actual thing from before it was a mandate in South Florida where I'm at to even just when it was optional, I can't tell you how much nastiness I have received personally for not wearing a mask. And I'm not going to say that I wouldn't wear a mask just for the heck of it. I probably wouldn't wear a mask, but I actually also have a reason, not going to go into why, but I actually legitimately have a reason to not wear a mask other than the fact that I don't believe in government mandated masks um, or government mask mandates, I should say. But putting that aside, people automatically assume that you are not wearing a mask because you hate all human beings and they automatically assume that you just must be the jerkiest of all jerks on planet jerk earth for not wearing a mask and that's why because you want to see them dead and their grandma dead and their grandma's dog dead like they just think it seems as though a large portion of our population at least here in south florida where i'm at truly believe the very worst about you just on sight now think about that what's what that's doing to our culture where not only are we you know human and we fall to our judgmental thoughts about others when we see them but now it's this this, this dividing divisive thing where just seeing someone without a mask is enough to make you think the very very worst of them the worst of humankind that they just wish death upon you and all that you love i have been literally you know i think at the time i was seven months pregnant and in costco and had a man literally probably three feet maybe three to three and a half feet away from me very very close f-bombing me to my face while my little sister is shopping with me f-bombing me because i'm not wearing a mask it was very aggressive and honestly a tense situation where I was a little bit worried about the safety of myself, my unborn child, and my little sister because of this mask situation. And it wasn't a, I, I did not exchange words with this man. It literally just brought out the very worst of him because he saw a fellow human being not wearing a mask. I have been, I mean, I can't even tell you, there's literally no way if I could count, if I get a dollar for every single dirty look a nasty glance and it's not imagined if you walk around maskless for any <laughs> any period of time then you know the dirty looks and the glares are so real they are 100 percent not imagined the comments i get i mean i literally was at target um for the first time in like five years it was a weird experience that's a story for a different day i went to target the other day because i had a gift card there and i was with my husband and literally got comments where people, you know, they're, they're not brave enough to confront you, but you know, they're brave enough behind their mask and about a few feet away from you to be like, great, she's pregnant and not wearing a mask. Comments like that, just the 
dirtiest of dirty looks from cashiers um, who will be very, very friendly and kind to the people in front of you and completely not speak to you at all, even when you wish them a good day, but then be very blatantly kind and chatty with the people right after you. It is nasty. All this to say, we are creating a culture in which friendliness is basically forbidden unless you 100% um, look and dress and act just like people want you to um, with the masks. And it's not loving to honestly wear masks. That's what I'm hearing all the time, especially from Christians. It's the loving thing to do. You need to wear a mask to love other people. No, actually, I don't think it's loving because you know what I'm seeing from this mask wearing culture? Fear, anxiety, suspicion, and a lot of unkindness. I can't explain to you, and I don't think I need to explain to you, just even if everyone around you is wearing a mask, including you, the amount of anxiety and fear and distrust that is palpable in the air, it's creating this environment around us that says, be afraid, be very afraid, be afraid of death, be afraid of sickness, be afraid of people, don't get close to people, freak out if someone gets within six feet of you because, oh my goodness, you're gonna die. We're afraid of friendliness and just being a normal human being. All because we are constantly perpetuating and pushing the idea and forcing our world around us to remember that we bought into the fear-mongering of the media for a virus that, I'm sorry, I'd understand this if this was still April, but it's not April. This virus has a 99 point something percent, it's over a 99% survival rate. Unless you have serious underlying conditions or under over the age of 70, you're going to probably be just fine. You're going to get sick maybe and feel miserable like you would with the flu. And then you'll get over it and your immune system will be stronger because of it. But in the meantime, we're freaking ourselves out with fear and perpetuating a culture of fear by wearing masks. If you're healthy, if you're young, don't. Don't buy into it anymore. I know I'm done with it, have been for a long time. You don't need to be afraid. And not only that, but outside of the dirty looks and the culture of fear and the culture of, of, of paranoia that wearing masks perpetuates in public spaces, I also feel like it's buying into a culture of fear instead of faith. The Bible tells us over and over and over, and no, I am not saying the Bible says don't wear a mask, so don't you dare take it that direction, okay? But the Bible does tell us to walk in faith and not fear. Just a couple of Bible verses that I rely on, um, you know, in times of, of maybe anxiety and of any kind, you know, um, is 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Um, Psalms 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, 6 says, so be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them for the Lord, your God will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail, fail you nor abandon you. 
I'm sorry, but I'm not going to buy into the fear mongering. And I don't think you should either. I think that if you are truly sick or elderly, then yes, take precautions. But the rest of the world, or at least the rest of our country, doesn't need to walk around in fear of a virus with an over a 99% survival rate. It's time to wake up from the nightmare of fear. Look forward to each day seeking the good, looking for the good, smiling at your neighbor without a face covering so, you know, we can actually see each other's smiles for real. And stop walking in fear, but walk in faith. Okay, we have the data, we have the evidence now, we don't need to be afraid. And more than that, we have God's word and that says don't be afraid. Stop living in a fear bubble. All right, now, um, before I continue on to talk about teachers openly fretting that parents might hear them brainwashing their children, um, we're gonna go ahead and ask you to take a moment, subscribe, leave a review, five-star review preferably, and go ahead on Instagram and click notifications so that you are notified when new posts come out. All right, this is actually a piece that um, I'd actually been talking about the same thing actually um, more and more recently about actually how good it could be that public schools aren't opening up again. And I know a lot of you are like, oh, yes, Belisa, but what about the single mom who has to have public school to do X, Y, and Z or, or whatever? I get it. There's complications, huge complications with our school system not opening up immediately this fall. But honestly, the silver lining and the social structural good that it could do for our families and communities and parents and for children is so huge that I kind of want to just take a minute to, you know, look at this. I talked about that a little bit in um, one of the last couple episodes I did about teachers basically coming out and saying that they're not essential. And I'm kind of agreeing with them. Teachers, public school teachers aren't necessarily essential. But you know what would be great is if, um, you know, since schools aren't opening and since, you know, our taxpayer dollars aren't being used the way that they were, we were told that they were going to be used, that money should go back to the taxpayers, even if you don't have kids, because, you know, that money's yours. And then if you do have kids, then you can use that money to follow your student to educational option of yours and your child's choice and preference. So to hear more about that, listen to that episode. I think it's honestly could be super great. Um, but something that's really creepy that came out um, on Twitter is this thread. And Matt Walsh was talking about it. And, and so I'm going to read you some of his um, writing, which I think is really spot on, is um, a teacher recently fretted out loud in their on their virtual class that uh, having virtual classes might allow parents to hear him brainwashing their kids. Now, he didn't say it quite like that. But Matthew R.K., an educator and author of the book on, quote, how to lead meaningful race conversations in the classroom, worried that conservative parents would be able to interfere with the messy work of indoctrinating children into critical race theory, gender theory, and other left-wing dogmas. So here's the thread, which has actually since been set to private. So people took screenshots. Thank the Lord for the internet and screenshots. That can actually be a double-edged sword, but so here it is. Quote, so this fall, virtual class discussions will have many potential spectators, parents, siblings, etc. in the same room. We'll never be quite sure who is overhearing the discourse. What does this do for our um, equality and inclusion work? How much 
have students depended on the somewhat secure barriers of our physical classrooms to encourage vulnerability? How many of us have installed some version of what happens here stays here to help this? Okay, I'm just going to say this is super creepy. Continuing with this Twitter thread. While well, conversations about race are in my wheelhouse and remain a concern in this no-walls environment, I'm almost intrigued by the damage that helicopter snowplow parents can do in the host conversations about gender and sexuality. And while conservative parents are my chief concern, I know the damage can come from the left too. If we are engaged with the messy work of destabilizing a kid's racism or homophobia or transphobia, how do how much do we want their classmates' parents piling on? Okay, pausing right here before I read the rest of this feed. This is freaky. Freaky and transparent, so transparent that some teachers are legit brainwashing our children, are as in the American children, and totally want to keep that a secret from parents. If you didn't want to see it plain as day before and it was a conspiracy before, well, here's a teacher talking about it. And you know what? There was a lot of teachers who agreed with him. I mean, seriously, the fact that they would talk about the fact that it's messy work of destabilizing a kid's racism, homophobia, or transphobia. No, translate that to decent level-headed parents teaching their children, your race doesn't determine what you can do in this world. Your hard work does. You live in the freest country in America. Or, um, you know what? God created men and women. And if you have, you have trans gender feelings, then let's talk about those and address those because God doesn't make mistakes and science says that there are men and women. Um, so, you know, teaching the truth. Or how about, hey, if you have homosexual feelings, while that is a sexual cross to bear, a lot of people have sexual feelings that they shouldn't act on because that's not God's plan. It's not. It's not his plan for sexuality. Well, you know what? Apparently, some teachers, like this messed up dude here, he's he's engaged in the messy work of destabilizing all that, all that hard work you put into teaching your child, according to the Bible. Um, yeah, well, they're destabilizing that and totally open about it, apparently. This it continues on. I'm going to continue with this thread. It's important to note that while some teachers, oh, sorry, no, that's the end of that thread. Um, I forgot I cut it off there because it was going to be too long. But basically, um, yes, it's important to note that, yes, there were some comments that were totally, um, you know, from other teachers that were <laughs> voiced the appropriate amount of horror at this disgusting, um, you know, Twitter thread. Other people actually did chime in. Other teachers chimed in on sharing your own strategies for brainwashing during the pandemic. One teacher said she'd also been thinking about the problem Kay described and decided she'd ask students about their preferred pronouns via survey, though she still worries that caregivers might see it and learn something about their children they weren't supposed to know. Oh, so teachers are supposed to know more about their students than parents? What kind of twisted thinking is that? Another teacher said that students last semester would sometimes type secrets into the chat whenever the discussion turned to anti-racism and gender-inclusive content, and another complained that a white parent, she made sure to specify white, in her district recorded a Zoom class and filed a complaint against the teacher for anti-racist read aloud, saying that the teachers, basically, she recorded a Zoom class and said that the teacher's commentary was inappropriate and biased. And then the teacher was like, this is an issue. This is an outrage. First of all, isn't that good 
Shouldn't we be celebrating as parents? I'm not saying that online education is great and ideal, whatever, but shouldn't we be celebrating that for a minute, whether it was last school, you know, the end of last school uh, semester or the beginning of this school semester, parents are going to be getting a better look into and a glimpse into what public educators are teaching their children, seeing it for the nasty or against their value content that is being taught, all of a sudden, whoa, look at that. Teachers have a little bit more accountability because while mom and dad might not be tuning into every class, they might be in the kitchen cooking something or doing something, getting a drink of water while their child is at the dining room table and they hear now you know, snippets of what the teachers are actually teaching children and whether or not the American history is in fact correct or whether or not the teacher is in fact telling all their students that America is systematically a racism, racist with actual, you know, no statistical evidence to back that up. The truth is, I think that this is, I just, I can't, again, I can't stress to you enough how shaking up the system like this with school might seem overwhelming and daunting and terrifying for many parents and I, I can't even pretend to be in that situation. I don't have children who are supposed to be going into school this fall but I am looking around at so many of my close friends and families and community members and realizing that this could be a lot of good and this could be a, a wake-up that shakes people just enough that they're like oh wait okay so um uh, I, ha I have to pay into the system, but I don't get anything out of it. I want my money so that I can have that money follow my child. All of a sudden, people who once upon a time said the voucher system and school choice was oh so evil and bad, now might be actually going for it. So a couple of things just want to point out because of this um, interesting Twitter thread bringing these to mind. Um, the classroom and teachers, they're not safe places for children. That's not the point of a classroom. The classroom is to learn facts, um, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, basic facts. It's not for opening up. It's not a safe place. It's not a place to be vulnerable or discuss sexuality. Um, the thing is, is also the same, these same educators who are saying that this is a place for children to open up about their sexuality and vulnerable, be vulnerable. They're also saying that schools have this huge problem with bullying. Okay, yeah, which they do. So don't tell me that this is a vulnerable place for students. And then also, I just want to say, these teachers who want to talk about children's sexuality with them and then keep it a, a secret from parents comes across a lot like sexual predators. And I'm sorry, warning signals should be going off. That's disgusting. This is not appropriate. Teachers are not supposed to be counselors. They're not supposed to be therapists. They are not supposed to do anything except teach facts. All the rest of it, that's what parents are for. And I think, honestly, one of the best things that could come out of coronavirus is a better connection with the family and parent-child relationships. Um, end of story. Children, they belong to their parents, not the school system, not the government. They're not wards of the state. All right. Now let's go ahead and deconstruct Cardigan, Taylor Swift's, one of Taylor Swift's new songs. Now I haven't gone, I, at first when Taylor Swift came out with her album, I was going to go through and deconstruct some, but I wanted to see which songs actually rose to the top so we can talk about the ones that you probably might have heard already. So Cardigan is one that should definitely jump those charts. So here's some of the lyrics. Vintage tea, brand new phone, high heels on cobblestones. I just want to. I just want to point out this is this is not important um but i 
are you a woman? Have you ever worn high heels on cobblestones? Because it sucks. Chances are you're going to probably ruin your shoe and maybe break your face when you trip. That's all. Anyways, she says, when you are young, they assume you know nothing. Okay, so first of all, Taylor Swift, you're um, past the age of 30. And I get, yeah, that's still pretty young. Um, but what makes you young and what makes people think you know nothing is because you act like you know nothing and you act really young. Quite frankly, Taylor Swift seems to be caught in this perpetual spin cycle of being 16 and brainless, quite frankly. And supporting Bernie Sanders and really crazy leftist ideology tells us everything we need to know about whether or not you know stuff and it really has nothing to do with your age. So yeah, we're assuming that you know nothing, not because you're young, Taylor, but because you don't know anything. Just thought I'd clarify in case you were, you know, cause this seems to be a line that she repeats a lot. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. Well, Taylor, wisdom doesn't always come with age. It's not coming with age for you. So she says, Sequin smile, black lipstick. I just want to point out from a fashion standpoint, black lipstick has never made sense to me. Still not, I never got on board with the black nail polish. I know a lot of y'all did. It never made sense to me. Looks kind of creepy. Um, black lipstick makes even less sense to me. She's a sensual politics. Nothing out. She like literally nothing else. It just says sensual politics. And she says, when you're young, they assume you know nothing. Again, Taylor, it's not because you're young. It's because you're stupid and you don't know anything. Then she says, this is the chorus, but I knew you dancing in your Levi's, drunk under a street light. I knew you, hand under my shirt, baby, kiss it better. Taylor, 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 you knew him? Even when he was drunk or under a street light and you took him seriously? I'm questioning you again and your intelligence level. If you knew him drunk under a street light, why was he drunk under, he shouldn't be getting drunk at all, but especially under a street light? Come on, come on, this doesn't sound safe, Taylor. We're questioning your judgment, as always. She says, and when I felt like it, I was an old cardigan. Okay. Under someone's bed. Someone. Oof, gosh. I hope you're not under. Okay. Why are you under someone's bed? Anyways, you put me on and said I was your favorite. Okay. I know what she's trying to say here is that I felt like nothing, and you took me in and said you're something. But here's the thing. This is a subliminal message as a female artist that she is giving girls and men who listen to Taylor, although goodness knows why, but she's giving this message to people who listen to her, young impressionable people, that if you don't feel like you're worth anything and you feel like an old cardigan left under the bed, that all you need is a nice boy to hold you and tell you that you're worth something because your self-worth, your self-worth is found in being held and loved and told that you're something by a boy. Yeah, Taylor, because that's totally the message that we want to give to girls. You're only worth something if a boy tells you you're worth something. But as soon as he decides that you're an old cardigan again that throws you under the bed, yeah, that's that's really your status. It's only whether or not that boy loves you and tells you that you're um that you're worth something or that you're his favorite. No, that's totally incorrect, terrible messaging for anyone to listen to, regardless of your age, quite frankly. As Christians, your identity is found in Jesus Christ. Your value and your worth is found in Jesus Christ and not in whether or not a boy says you're, her, you're his favorite. 
This is terrible messaging. Not only that, but even if you're not a Christian, it's still terrible messaging to tell a girl that her self-worth is found and whether or not a boy loves her. That's just not right. And it's truly a terrible making of a relationship, much less a marriage. Another verse says, A friend to all is a friend to none. Chase two girls, lose the one. You should not be chasing two girls. That sounds like a terrible recipe for disaster. When you are young, they assume you know nothing. Of course, but I knew you. Playing hide and seek. Give me your weekends. I knew you. Your heartbeat on the high line. Once in 20 lifetimes. And when I felt like I was an old cardigan under someone's bed, you put me on and said I was your favorite. Again, finding self-worth with a boy. To kiss in cars and downtown bars was all we needed. All you needed was to kiss in cars and downtown bars? Honey, that's a terrible basis for a relationship. Why are you telling women or men that to kiss in cars and downtown bars is all you needed? Know what you needed, girl, was values in common. Do you have a faith in common? Are your politics in common? Because politics intertwine very deeply with religion. Are you going to raise your children the same? Do you, do you even both want children? No, that's not all you need. You don't need to just kiss in cars and downtown bars. That's a terrible, terrible foundation for a relationship. You drew stars around my scars, but now I'm bleeding. Okay, so it sounds like he put band-aids on your insecurities, and now he's gone, and so he ripped them off, and all of a sudden you realize you're a broken, cracked, unstable individual who needs Jesus. You should have figured that out before you were in a relationship. Just saying. She continues, Cause I knew you, stepping on the last train, marked me like a blood stain. I knew you, tried to change the ending, P Peter losing Wendy. I knew you, leaving like a father, running like water. And when you were young, and when you are young, they assume you know nothing. Wow. So this basically screams of deep, deep scarring daddy issues she's talking about peter losing wendy leaving like a father talking to the father crisis fatherhood crisis or lack of father fathers in america today and in our western culture um she's got daddy issues or at least the girl she's writing about in the song has daddy issues and again needs to address this on a core level before racing after a boy to fix it you're not gonna find lasting love hope peace joy, fulfillment, none of that. And a boy, that's not the way this works. Marriage is beautiful and wonderful, don't get me wrong. Marriage is the icing on the cake, but it comes after you have a developed relationship with Jesus and you found your worth in Jesus, not in a boy's love. And then last verse I'll read, but I knew you'd linger like a tattoo kiss. I knew you'd hunt all of my what if, oh, you'd haunt all of my what ifs. The smell of smoke would hang around this long cause I knew everything when I was young. Cause I'd curse you, I knew I'd curse you for the longest time chasing shadows in the grocery line. Okay, I don't understand that line, chasing shadows in a grocery line? I'm pretty sure she's put that in for that cause it rhymes. Cause that doesn't make any sense. First of all, when have you seen shadows at the grocery store? Like deep enough shadows that you could chase a shadow in a grocery store line. That doesn't make any sense. Um, I knew you'd miss me once the thrill expired. Oh, so here she is at the end of the song admitting that the relationship was about thrill and shallow joy about, um, yeah, just seeking thrill. Cause you know, I knew you'd miss me once the thrill expired. Clearly your relationship was based on something deep and worthy and you know, values. Nope, not at all. And you'd be standing in my front porch light and I knew you'd come back to me. You'd come back to me, you'd come back to me. Wow, 
everything about that song is so wrong. And I'm sorry, ladies, if you're listening to this and um, you think this is how relationships, healthy relationships function, I would I would just beg you to, to set it aside and um, you know everything with it is wrong. Don't run your relationship anywhere like this song or basically anything that Taylor writes. All right, we're going to end our episode now with good in the world. Now, I've been talking about a lot, a lot, a lot, um, human trafficking. I talk about human trafficking a lot on the podcast and on Instagram, but more lately because of stuff. You're going to have to go back and listen to those episodes from Wayfair to World Human Trafficking Day. Very, very important issue. Something that I love, though, is when people decide to actually get involved, when they decide to open their eyes, take those human trafficking courses like I talked about in um, the child sex trafficking. I talked about a course you can take that will actually open your eyes and allow you to recognize when human trafficking is happening near you because it is happening in every single one of our communities. Even if you're in a tiny 300-person town, trust me, been there, done that, lived in those tiny towns, it is happening everywhere. So... This beautiful story is about a postal worker named Ivan, who, um, by the way, I should mention this story is from Fight the New Drug, but he helped a teen escape from human trafficking, which is so admirable. Um, This happened a couple years ago in June. Ivan, who was on his regular postal route in South Sacramento, um, he came across a distressing scene, a sobbing 16-year-old named Crystal hiding in someone's front yard. I hear this crying, this desperate crying, he said. I saw her hiding behind this kind of bush tree kind of thing. Um, In a report by local news station Fox 40, Ivan says Crystal started to point to her arm saying, they were putting things in me. They were putting things in me. They're coming to get me. This is when he realized that she had just escaped from being held captive by sex traffickers and needed help before they came back for her. Apparently, um... This girl, Crystal, had been trafficked for three months. She had been drugged, tortured, abused. Um, She wasn't sure if she'd ever see her family again. That day that Ivan helped her, her captors threatened her, put her in a car and started driving. Crystal says, quote, They told me they were taking me somewhere to hurt me, and I kind of just thought I'd jump out of the car. Crystal says she was able to grab the captor's cell phone when she jumped out of her car. The first thing she did was call her mother. Until she handed me, until she handed the phone to Ivan and we spoke with him, we had no idea what was going on, said um, Stacy, Crystal's mom. We had no idea where she was or anything. Um, the, you know, the man, uh, Ivan, he stayed with the girl until the police arrived and then took her to the hospital. Don't worry, Ivan told Crystal, nobody's going to take you. I'm here for you. Don't worry. I love this. Just a postal worker doing his job looking around, being aware, helped a girl get out of human trafficking. And I've shared other stories like this in Good in the World where, um, you know, for instance, truck stops. Um, If you're a trucker, truck stops are a very, very common place for human trafficking exchanges to happen. And, um, you know, people who are becoming aware of this are now taking these courses by OUR and other organizations to become aware of what human trafficking looks like and the signals and the signs and putting the human trafficking hotline in their phone number so that they know what to do when they run into the signs and signals that human trafficking is happening. So, you know, truck workers seeing it and spotting it and helping girls get out of these terrible situations, Um, airline flight attendants, seeing the signs, knowing what to look for, being able to rescue girls who are flying, you know, under the guise of like a niece or a daughter or something, um, or something, anything. There's so many 
disgusting and disturbing ways that these girls are transported, but so many, every single, just average everyday Americans coming together, educating themselves, taking the time to learn the signs that we can put a stop to this. And that is the good in the world is that Americans do care and you and I care and you and I can do something about it. And that is beautiful. All right, then. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode. God bless you. God bless America. This is Deconstructing the Culture and I am your host, Elisa Steele. Hey friends, thanks so much for joining. It truly means a lot. Here I am for another episode and I'm so happy I get to be here. Um, you might see me for the next couple weeks, you might not, just depends on when Baby Steel gets here. But in the meantime, I will be even when I go on a short break from podcasting um, right after baby is born, I will continue to post on Instagram, both in stories and on my timeline. So please go ahead and follow me on Instagram to stay connected and be sure to hit notify so that Instagram will stop shadow banning me. All right. Thank you. See you later.